You are here this morning. I want to thank you for being our guest. And I believe that, that that shows a desire that you do, in fact, want to hear from God because this is his word. And we are his church, Living Hope Church. We exist to fully devote ourselves to Jesus, not just on Easter. We don't want to be those priesters, right? Just just Christmas and Easter, we show up for church and we go back to the way. We're going to talk about that, right? We're talking, well, we want to be a church that's devoted to our risen Lord. If he's risen, that's changed everything. Amen. He's changed my life and he can change yours too. So this morning as we go to the word, I want to go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, one of the most phenomenal passages talking about the resurrection and what does that mean for us today? What does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead and, and did he really rise from the dead we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that too how um, we can have as certain as anything can be certain in this life a certainty that he is in fact risen from the dead so how how wants to approach the text this morning is i believe this is the the inspired word of god and i'm going to teach it as such but i understand as we come to something so big like the resurrection this is like uh, when someone says news is too good to be true that's that's what you think about when you, we're talking. About, someone came back from the dead. Come on, surely, surely you're making. Surely someone's telling a story here. And no, not not kidding you. So like, if you were to show up at a at a used car lot and you're talking to the car salesman, right? He's telling you all the amazing features that this car has, and you can see it's like falling apart in front of you, right? But no, he's going to convince you it's the best ride ever. I think that's how some people approach the resurrection, like. Are you just a used car salesman trying to try to pitch me on something crazy? So I'm inviting you this morning as we go through the text. Hey, kick those tires with me. See that this isn't just some blind, made-up faith, and I'm trying to pitch you something. This is a historical event. It's a life-changing event. It changed the whole world and the trajectory of eternity. So kick those tires with me, and let's see if these big promises really hold the weight. I believe that they do. Our main point for this morning is the resurrection is our guarantee for new life or our new life guarantee. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 10. And let's start to talk about what this message is for us. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. This is the Apostle Paul talking to people that he has led to Christ in a church that he planted in a city called Corinth about 2,000 years ago. He says, the gospel I preach to you, which you receive, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas. Then to the twelve. So Cephas is, is another name for, for Peter. I mean, same thing. Peter means stone, Cephas, stone. And he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So historical note, uh, the, uh, the, the first letter to Corinthians was written about 55 AD, 56 AD. So Jesus has been ascended to heaven for about... 20, 22 years thereabouts. And so some people that saw him alive have since passed on since that time. And uh, and how did they pass on if, if he rose from the dead? All right, we'll talk about that too. Then he appeared to James, verse 7, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. 
For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. So we'll put a pen in there. Uh, we'll come back to uh, some, some more verses in that passage as, as they uh, become clear to us. So some background for you. because Has anyone here been to Corinth? <laughs> I, okay. All right. So we have one. We have one. Pastor Dennis, of course, our, our uh, Bible scholar and uh, an experienced pastor. He's been to Corinth. And uh, Corinth is not, not much to look at these days, right? It's, uh, it's uh, a place for the jackals and history books. But 2,000 years ago, it was a bustling city. A, a city full of business. This is where you go to make money. This is where you go uh, for your trade. The Apostle Paul, he traveled there as a tent maker. So he made tents to provide for himself, to allow himself to do the work of the ministry. And Corinth is a great place to do that. It's, uh, it's where, it's where the, the, the ships are going to come. It's where the caravans are going to come. It's where the business happens. But Corinth, because it was a city of business and trade and people, much like big cities today in our culture, what, what tends to happen over time, all kinds of ideas germinate in a big city, and people make you question uh, truth. They make you question truth. Because if we just try hard enough, we can kind of construct our own truth. We can kind of construct our own narrative of the human experience. And Corinth, as a city, was very much anti-gospel. It wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They wanted to make a buck and live a good life. And over time, their influence was starting to, to rub off on this church where Christ calls us to be salt and light to our community and to show them the truth. If we start listening to the wrong voices, we start to get turned around and confused. And, well, I, I don't know. So, so uh, from what we can tell them in the, in the letter to Corinthians, there were, there were a number of issues. One of them was... Some people were making them question that the resurrection actually happened. And they made them think, oh, you can't believe that. That's a fairy tale. That's too good to be true. That's a false promise. There's just no way. No one in human history has ever raised themselves from the dead, which is true up to that point. And, and so surely, you know, law would say this cannot happen. And so the church started to, to spiritualize some things and, and back up and placate the culture. And they're saying, well, maybe... Maybe it's a metaphor, you know, like the new life we can have in Jesus. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, but we have this new life. And, and so they're trying to, 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 to soften the truth to make it less offensive. And, and Paul just shoots straight across and he says, guys, this is, this is priority one. Amen. This is first importance. You've got to get this right. Verse three, he says, the gospel that I gave to you, this is not some secondary belief. This is not something you can put on the shelf. This is life itself. Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He rose from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. You cannot trade that away. That is literally what it means to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus is that you have received this gospel. There's nothing more important than that. We can have breakfast celebrating Easter. We can have an Easter egg hunt, and we'll do that for the kids afterwards. But make no mistake, everything we do and believe centers on the good news of Jesus and the resurrection is a very important part of that. So he writes this text to show us that the resurrection gives us three unique guarantees for life. Don't be giving it away. 
And, and don't think that the resurrection didn't happen. It did. And the resurrection brings three unique guarantees, okay? So first of all, the resurrection guarantees that there is forgiveness for sins. Guarantees that there's forgiveness for sins. Okay, so verse 3, he says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Now, we're really quick to celebrate the empty grave, right? But in order for there to be an empty grave, what happened before that? Had to be death. There really was death. Jesus of Nazareth was a real historical person, and he really died on the cross. Now, even if you're uh, an atheist or an agnostic or you don't believe anything about Christianity at all, everyone can agree Jesus of Nazareth did exist, and he did die. Okay, so start there. Let that be your starting point. But because... I believe that the Bible is the Word of God and that this is true and that Jesus is more than a man. We have to look back at what the Old Testament says was necessary. Why did Messiah have to die? That, that, that's really the question. Why did he have to die? And Jesus tells his disciples, I must give up my life to save my people. Like the Passover lamb in Exodus, right? The Israelites were not worthy to have the angel of death pass over their doors. It was simply a matter of whoever has the blood of the Passover lamb on the door is safe. God provides a way of escape. But that was for one time in human history. Jesus says it was necessary for me to come to fulfill all things. For all times and places, for all people, all the promises of God... I have come to be the sacrificial lamb, God in human flesh, to die the human death, to shed my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Leviticus 17.11, this is the law, says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So over and over and over, the Israelites offer up lambs and rams and bulls. There's, I, I was actually struck by this the other day because I'm reading in Leviticus for my Bible reading and how many different offerings there are. Our sin is so deep and our break in the relationship with God is so fractured. I can't just offer, they couldn't just offer one sacrifice. It, it, there's more than that. Okay, there's the sin offering. There's the guilt offering. There's the incense. So that there's a, a fragrance, a pleasing fragrance, ascending to heaven that, that God would... There is the, the once a year high priestly atonement. And he goes into the Holy of Holies representing the whole nation of Israel and all of the believing Gentiles who came in under the Old Covenant. But they had to keep offering those sacrifices over and over and over. And the next time you sin, you're unclean again. Jesus said, I came to bring permanent cleansing. He tells his disciples, um, I am the suffering servant, Isaiah 53. So if you hold your place here, this isn't in my note. Well, it, it, it is in my notes, but I'm actually going to take us to Isaiah 53. I want us to understand what is going on here. Who is Messiah? Uh, the arm of the Lord has revealed, verse 1 says, Isaiah 53, for he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty we should desire him. He was despised. 
and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Who else could this be speaking of? This Messiah who was crushed just like the sacrificial lamb so that we could go free and we could have peace. He bore the stripes. He has the nail marks in his hands. He died the death that we deserved so we could be forgiven. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 9, 6, I have the authority to forgive sins. If you don't believe that, religious leaders, then look at me. Is it easier to forgive sins or to tell someone to rise up and walk? So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, rise up and walk. And this man who's been lame his entire life, cannot walk, gets up and walks out, leaping and praising God. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. So when he dies, like a prize fighter, he is promising, I'm giving you victory over sin and death. But do you remember what the main, the, the, the main point of this message is? Without the resurrection, there's no guarantee for that. Thank you, Messiah, for dying for our sins. Thank you for covering our sins. But if he doesn't come out of that grave, he's just like one of us. Maybe a bit more righteous, maybe a bit more holy. But if he doesn't come out of that grave, you and I don't have any hope beyond that grave. Okay, forgiveness, but, but then what? Where do I spend eternity? He says, I made a way. And, and the thing about, uh, I use the term prize fighter. The thing about a boxer or a UFC fighter, I don't watch UFC, but a lot of people do. Uh, they think it's entertaining to watch guys like get their faces pummeled. I can't do it. It's, it's gross. I can't do it. But if you get knocked down for a three count, what happens? You're done, right? Even if you're not a boxer, you get that. Okay, one two, three. If you're still down, you lose the match. Jesus was in the tomb three days. One, two, three. I'm not good at math, but I'm pretty sure if someone's dead and cold in the grave for three days, they're not coming back. And what does Jesus do? He comes back. So there's no mistaking. He has the power over sin and death and hell. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and he came back to life. Here's the second guarantee that we have. He forgives sins. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving my sins. He also guarantees life for eternity. This is what his resurrection does. So look with me in verse 12. Paul is going to address that false rumor, that false teaching going around. That, well, maybe the resurrection didn't actually happen. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Go down to verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There's no life there. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, right? Adam, the first man. As by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. There's a new line. There's a new race. Those who are raised to life in Christ. But if, if you didn't rise from the dead, there's no, there's no hope for eternity. There is no life beyond this. Paul says, actually, it's, we're pathetic. We're foolish. We're wasting our time. We're wasting our lives. You guys are wasting a perfectly good Easter morning. You could be at the beach right now. If Jesus is still in the grave, this is foolishness. But Paul says, in fact, he is not. I've seen him. <laughs> I've seen him. And he's worked in my life, and I've seen him raise others to life in their, their spiritual life. So, so let's make something very clear this morning. You either believe one of two things. You either believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, or you do not. There is no, well, maybe it's a metaphor. It's, it's yes or no. It's true or false. Because there's no eternal life unless there's someone who can walk us out of that grave. Someone who can actually bring our hearts from death to life and give us a relationship with God. Forgiving our sins is huge. Giving us life for eternity. So we're saved from our sin and we're saved to our Savior. It's a relationship. He's rescued us for an eternal relationship of love with him. Now I want to take a moment here to explore a little bit did the resurrection actually happen? Here's the claims that Paul is making as to how we know it's true. Verses 5 through 9. He's given us a whole list of people. He says, you don't believe me, you talk to these people too. He appeared to Peter. Right? John chapter 20 tells us that Jesus actually first appeared to a group of women. They were coming to the grave on Sunday morning to prepare his body and, and throw some perfume on it and make his foul-smelling body smell good. Because remember, he was down for a three-count. He's not, he's not coming back. <laughs> so they go to the grave on Easter morning. Why is the sun rolled away? And then, then these angels appear. And then they see Jesus himself. And he, and he says, this is me. This is who I've been all along. It was necessary for me to die. It was necessary for me to rise from the dead. And I wanted to say, I think this is pretty important to note. Because in that cultural day, it was not acceptable for women to give public testimony as witnesses in the court of law. It was a very patriarchal society, so you had to have the testimony of a man that would be legally admissible in the court of law. So why would Jesus, if he wants the whole world to believe that he's risen from the dead, why would he appear to women first? Because he loves them, and in his eyes they are just as valuable, and that he wants to reveal himself to them just as much as any man. But if I'm making this up, why would I say that a bunch of women saw him first? You know, people aren't going to accept that. Let, guys, let's rewrite this narrative a little bit. It's the truth, though. Amen. They can't rewrite the truth. It happened. Jesus appeared to a group of women, John chapter 20. He appeared to Peter. Remember Peter? He denied Jesus how many times? Three times. Again, to me, three times, three strikes and you're out. Not with Jesus. He showed himself to Peter. He says, believe. 
believe, Peter. My grace is bigger than all of your mistakes and all the ones you'll make in the future. He appeared to all his apostles, the ones who abandoned him in his final hours and showed himself to them. Then they go out and they turn the world upside down, sharing the gospel and good news of Jesus. And then they're killed for it. <coughs> killed for it. Killed for the faith. But if he didn't rise from the dead and they made it all up, who would be willing to die for a lie? Like to a man. It wasn't just one or two of them. It was almost the whole group of apostles. The rest, uh, John the Apostle <laughs> lived, lived to old age by God's grace, but he suffered. He suffered, no doubt about it. Paul says he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. You can go and interview these people. That's why he says most of them are still alive. Some have fallen asleep, gone to be with Jesus in heaven, but some are still here. You can ask them. He says, I'm writing this with my own hand. I, I also have seen him. He appeared to me. Why is that such a big deal? I think Paul's life is the clinching argument. If you're a skeptic, kicking the tires, is this real? Paul was an enemy of God. He persecuted Christians. He hated Christians. He threw them in jail. He beat them. He, he cursed them. He spit on them. And he did this all and got paid for it by the religious leaders in Jerusalem. So you're not going to just walk away from that, much less are you going to turn and start cheering for the enemy. But Paul says, I saw him. He met me on the road to Damascus. You can read about it in Acts chapter 8, I believe. Nine. 9, excuse me, Acts chapter 9. And we don't have the time to read it ourselves, but I encourage you to bookmark it. Because Paul shares his testimony multiple times through the book of Acts, and it lines up. Every time, just like you would expect someone who's telling the truth would do. His story is consistent. And he says, guys, I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve God's grace. And I certainly wasn't looking for it. I thought I'd make a name for myself. I found my cause, persecuting Christians. And then I realized it was real. He is alive. That's the truth. I have a couple pictures up here. Lacey and I have actually been to Jerusalem. And we have seen the empty tomb ourselves. Is I think the, the second slide. Oh, I'm sorry. That's all right. We're pass it. There we go. So, so there are two locations in Jerusalem. One, which is under a Catholic church, which is very most likely the actual location where Jesus was buried. But you can't get good pictures of it because it's as dark as a tomb down there. <laughs> They've got some candles, and you're in a, a basement of stone. If I took a picture, you would see nothing but black. But out um, by uh, Gordon's Calvary, outside of the city walls, this is a nice place to remember what Jesus did. And you can actually get a picture and share. But in both locations, guess what? The tomb is empty. Seen it myself. Okay, He's not here. He's risen. Paul says in verse 20, of 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, Christ is raised from the dead, and he's the first fruits from the dead. It's a harvesting term. It's a farming term. There's going to be a whole harvest of children of God who will be raised to new life, but only because of Jesus, the new and better and perfect Adam, who kept all of God's law, who is perfectly obedient, who submitted himself to the Father, who loved us to the very end, and with his righteous, perfect blood, he sacrificed himself for us. Amen. He fixes the problem of death and brokenness. 
and you and I can have eternal life through him. Jesus said in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And that's how our body still dies in this broken world. But our spirit immediately goes to be with Jesus. If we are covered, the doorway of our hearts are covered with the blood of the Lamb. We are brought into a relationship with Him. And I don't know where you're at this morning. Um, maybe you have a relationship with Jesus or you're trying to understand more about this gospel, this good news. And I want to give you an invitation to consider Jesus. How would you ever know if you could have eternal life? Unless the person who is eternal life promised it to you and his resurrection is the guarantee that he keeps his promises. Without the resurrection, that check's going to bounce. But it doesn't because Jesus keeps his promises. So what do you put your faith in? What's your hope in? Good works? Good deeds? A religious upbringing? You go to church regularly? But you and I are still sinners. So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, our faith has to be resting on the promises of God. And all the promises of the Old Testament find their yes in who? Jesus. Jesus. First Corinthians. No, Second Corinthians 1.20 tells us that. Alright, thirdly. I could go all day, but I can't. I can't, alright? Here's the third guarantee. We're not just guaranteed life for eternity. We're guaranteed hope for today. It's the third and final guarantee I want to look at here. Verses 8 through 10. This is Paul's personal testimony. He says, God's grace has changed me today, and he's continuing to change me day after day. You wouldn't believe who I was before. But look at the evidence of, of my life and what's going on in my life today. Now, I want to ask you a question. I saw this on, on social media. Social media can be good for some things, sometimes. Right, Alexis? Sometimes. And, and I saw this, I said, shake your head, no. Uh, I saw this quote, or this question. If you found out today that Jesus did not rise from the dead, what would change about your life? Would anything change about your life today? And of course, I'm asking this hyperbole. He did rise from the dead. But if he did it, and, and we all found out, and there was evidence that, oh man, we, okay. Turn off the turn off the, the sermon recording packet. But in your day-to-day -day life, how many of us say, yeah, I'm a Christian and, and I love Jesus and I, I, I follow him and but I think if you were to interview the over a billion people who identify as Christians on this planet and you look at their nine to five, their daily life, would there be any difference if Jesus rose from the dead or not? I think it's just easy to get wrapped up in our work. Easy to wrapped up in our activities and our and our fun and our hobbies or social media or watching our binge watching our favorite shows and it's just easy that we've seen the empty tomb but yeah, okay yeah I, I learned that a long time ago I'm, I'm kind of just chilling now let that challenge us do we really believe that Jesus rose from the dead and if so something should look really really different in our life today. Paul says, I'm unworthy to even be a messenger here. I should not be the one writing this letter inspired by God. I persecuted the church. I was a terrorist. <laughs> I terrorized the people of God. 
but then I met Jesus. And so today my life looks drastically different. I can't help but share the good news that I've seen and witnessed firsthand. I can't help but tell people how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. And now, what is the New Testament? It's showing us how life looks different because of Jesus. This is what life looks like as a Christian. This is what life looks like in the church, the New Covenant, New Testament. People of God from all tribes and tongues and nations. And I love this gospel because just this past week, I met a man whose fiance died from stage four cancer in Bradenton. And he says he's in a really rough spot and he, he, he might need some counseling. What counseling, what hope can I offer someone like that without the resurrection of the dead? What a discouraging, difficult place. But I said, you know what, here's my card, let's talk. Not because I have the answers, but I have someone who's got good news that you might find hard to believe, but, but it's true. And I, I, I met some others who are sick, who are confined in wheelchairs, who can, can hardly even articulate the words and the thoughts in their minds. Uh, uh, little ones, little ones who have their whole life ahead of them. And I'm looking at this messed up world, I'm looking at Russia and Ukraine, and, and is there going to be another World War III? What hope do we have to offer any of these people? if not for the life that comes through Jesus Christ. The hope of God, the hope for the nations. So for today, is there any part of my life that the resurrection would not turn upside down? What about your family? What about your family? Would that bring God's love, his unity, his hope, his peace, internally and then into your whole family what about your education are you just getting a degree or getting further education or training for your own self well guess what you're going to die one day and and how far is that training going to take you but if you have hope beyond the grave you see that life is not just meant to be lived for myself i'm living for the glory of god so absolutely that education matters i want to be as sharp as i possibly can to live as a follower of Jesus. About your parenting, your marriage, your work. Because he is risen every day, we make a choice. As I follow Jesus, I die to myself and I rise in Jesus. Every day. Every day. You have a loss in your family, you can rise in Christ. You get fired from your job, it makes no sense. You just get let go. You have a career change. You rise in Jesus. You, you're talking to someone who has no spiritual desire to know Jesus, no desire to follow God, and, and you feel like, am I wasting my time here? No, because you're sharing the hope that's in Jesus. We rise, and we rise, and we rise again because he has risen, and he is risen still and reigning on the throne. Church, we rise. Amen. So we have guaranteed forgiveness for our sins. We've guaranteed life for eternity. and We've guaranteed hope for today because of the resurrection. So if I had more time, I'd give us a fourth tire here. All right. But I think those are three pretty good tires. All right. You're kicking them with me. You're looking at what the Old Testament says, what Jesus says. 
what, what an enemy of God now turned Christian says, you have to understand where you stand with Jesus today. Yes or no? Is he risen? Is he alive? Is he the savior of the world? And if so, will you respond and invite him to be your savior and your Lord and your life? He changed my life when I was six years old. And I was so foolish and I knew hardly anything, but I knew this. Everything I have is riding on Jesus. My faith is in him. As Jesus goes, I go. And if I don't go to heaven one day, it's because Jesus is a liar. But in fact, he's alive and he's kept every promise of God. Where else would we put our faith? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, this is all you. In the beginning, you created the heavens and the earth and you created them for your glory and by your glory they were created. But Lord, we do not glorify you because we have sinned and broken your law. We have turned our backs on you. We have crucified your son and mocked him. How dare he try to be king over us. And yet we were fulfilling the very plan that you had ordained. You set about a, a chain of events to save the human race and bring us into the family of God. Jesus, this is the good news. And your resurrection is the receipt, is the guarantee that we know it's true. And Lord, we worship you now as we pray, as we're talking to you. You're talking to us. Are we listening? I pray for every soul here this morning, Lord, that our ears would be wide open, that our hearts would be open to you. You're giving us a loving invitation. Whoever believes in me will live. And I pray if there's anyone here today that, that is sitting under conviction of the Spirit, they're trying to understand what is the truth. God, what have you done? And, and what is my place in all of this? And how do I know what is true? God, show your truth. Convince the heart and the mind in ways that I never can, that you are certainly capable of. And I pray that your word will not return void this morning. May we go out and live out this grace, this new life, this hope. This is the best Easter yet, Lord. Because you have a plan for us today based on the resurrection 2,000 years ago. We worship you. Keep changing our hearts, Lord. Make us more like you, we pray. And I pray, Lord, you'll continue to grow this church with genuine spiritual life, heart transformation and souls coming to Christ. It's in your precious name we pray.